The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Book. Joining me today is, is Matt Drake. Matt, let, let's get started. Obviously not the week that the Montreal Canadiens wanted as we look at the, the first three games of the season, but we have some catching up to do uh, on the podcast. And, and we'll start off by talking about the, the bit of good news uh, that came just about a little, about a week ago when the Montreal Canadiens signed Nick Suzuki to an eight-year contract extension worth just under or just over $7.8 million per year. I, I think that a lot of the optimism around that contract has subsided over the last three games, but that doesn't, that doesn't make it, that doesn't make it any less of a, of a good contract, I believe for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. He hasn't been a problem in these three games either. So, uh, you know, if, if, if the excitement over that contract is cool, it's, it's more because of the overall results, not because he looked bad. Yeah, uh, I, I said this uh, on City News the other night when I was doing an interview with Georges Larac. Brilliant contract for the Montreal Canadiens. They get him signed under $8 million per season um, for uh, for basically most of his prime, I guess. Um, I guess that depends on what your definition of the length of a player's prime is, but most of it under $8 million for your top-line center. I think that's a brilliant deal for the Montreal Canadiens. I think they're banking on him having a really big year this year which obviously has yet to come to fruition. But if, if that's the case and he does end up having that big year, it's good that they got this out of the way because they avoid any massive increases to that number. Like if he had a really big year this year and then they did it at the end of the year instead, we could have been talking about double digits, right? We could have been talking about 10 million. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point, and it's, it's still very early in the season, but I, I think that the the incredible breakout season that, is not going to happen again, still very early. He hasn't been bad, but, and, and I guess we'll we'll use this as a segue into the, the team itself, because look, he's still 22 years old. Cole Caulfield is 20 years old. They're asked to do a lot of heavy lifting for this Canadians team. And largely how good this team is will depend on how good they are this season. But we can't separate that from the fact that they're still 22 and 20 and still very much developing. It'd be great if they were bona fide first line players this season. But if they're not, that's not a failure either. It just means that the season will not be as good as maybe some people were expecting it to be. Yeah, which, like you mentioned, is not a huge problem for this team. I don't think 
Like, first of all, let's let's be honest about last year's run to the Stanley Cup final. It was fun, but it was unexpected. It's not like this was a team that, you know, people were penciling in as Stanley Cup contenders at the beginning of last season. They just went on a magical run, supported largely by Carey Price, who's not currently there for them. So um, I, I think what this team is able to do this season remains to be seen, and, and we'll find that out when we find it out. But I, I still think overall that contract is is brilliant for them because it, it like you said it locks up that young twenty two year old for a long time. So if this isn't the big breakout season, then more power to them because when that big breakout season comes, which I think most people agree it's eventually going to come for him, it's going to make that contract look great. Especially as the salary cap eventually starts to go back up, that that contract is going to look like a bargain, right? It, it might not look like a bargain to some right now, but it it will eventually. And I think I I, I wonder. Right. Were they concerned about the possibility of another Carolina offer sheet at the end of the season if they didn't do something? Right. Yeah. I, 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 I think I think that that's that's definitely a factor. But I think that unlike the Kanyemi offer sheet, it would have been a lot harder to make an offer the Canadians wouldn't match, and even one that they wouldn't feel good about matching. Right. Like if someone was going to pay him it'd be a lot like the Aho situation that started all this, right? Like mm-hmm. M- M- Montreal, if they would have paid them eight to 10 million, which they didn't in that offer, but let's say if they did, it would have made it a lot harder for Carolina to match based on their, their financial situation. But, but also it would have been okay if they did, right? Like you're paying a first line player, first line money. That's, that's, that's what it is. And, and Suzuki still isn't at that point yet. Uh, again, still 79 games to go. In, in this season so i mean it's there's going to be slumps of three games with no with no points i'm not you know saying that this is an indication of of what's to come but at the same time it, that's the kind of player you feel good about paying a little bit more to right like you know if someone offers she did suzuki for 6.1 million they match it on the spot right okay. like it, it's not an issue so you know in order to get to a point where montreal is concerned you'd have to get into double digits you know and and, and in a case like that would you know, at that point, you're looking at three first round picks. You know, yeah. if it's something you're not comfortable with, you know what? Three first round picks is still pretty okay. It's still, it's still not bad. I'm not saying that I wouldn't match it at, you know, $10 million. But at the same time, it, it's a little bit harder to get to that point. It's same thing with, look at um, Elias Pedersen in Vancouver, even Brady Kachuk, right? In order to get to a point where they wouldn't match it, you'd have to go to a number that you probably wouldn't be comfortable with either, right? So it's... Mm-hmm. It's kind of a catch twenty-two. So I think that was a part of it, but I think it's also just the fact that they like the player, they want to lock up the player, they can agree, they know what the player is going to probably be, right? Like Nespericka Kanyemi, he didn't want to bridge the contract, right? I think that much is clear. Yeah, he wanted to get paid. You know, his his the six point one million dollars he's making this year is probably what Montreal offered over two years, right? Like if you're looking at it, what what they would have done. So, you know, that was his goal. And obviously he sets himself up for a nice qualifying offer going forward as well. There's a lot of factors there, but people don't, we don't know what Jesper Kanyemi is going to be like right yet. Right. Like he's had some good playoffs. He's had some good stretches. I don't think anybody can say without a shadow of a doubt, he should be paid like a top six center right now. No. And, and that's fine. He's, he's, he's even younger than Nick Suzuki is, but it's, it's a factor that comes into the contract negotiations with Suzuki. I think, you know, that he's going to, be the number one center for the next eight years. You, you can, you can, you know that he's going to be in your top six, regardless of what happens. So you have, it's, it's still a risk 
but it's a calculated one because like you mentioned, if he breaks out, look, the $7.8 million is not going to be a bargain next year. It's probably not even going to be a bargain in the year after. What you're banking on is that when you get to those unrestricted free agent years of which Montreal has bought out four of them, at that point, you're hoping that you know, you're paying him 7.8 instead of 9, 10, maybe even 11. So that's, that's where the contract comes into play. But it's also just, you know, when you manage your cap, it's nice to know that for the next eight years, you know what you're paying Nick Suzuki. So there's a lot of good things about this, this contract offer. But look, he, he doesn't have to produce like an $8 million player this season to make that contract worth it. He's not even getting paid that this season. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of um, give and take. The, the, pro- the, the problem with the, the burden of expectations on Nick Suzuki is that the Canadians need him to be an $8 million player if they want to make the playoffs this year. <laughs> and that's, that's where that sort of conundrum comes in. But as, as far as the contract, I don't think anybody can complain about it. I, I think the Brady Kachuk contract that came out made it look even better when you know, he's paying, getting paid uh, a little bit more per season and then getting one less year as well. So, yeah, I think that that's uh, an indicator of, of where this contract was. Nick Suzuki wanted to stay here. He wasn't going to ask for a significant m- amount more than what the Canadians were offering. It's a number that the Canadians felt good about, and, you know, it, it got done. And I think that that's a number that you can digest going forward. I don't yeah. think that's going to affect you. I mean, he was... He was on a 60-point pace last year, if you yep. calculate it out to an, a full 82-game season. So let's be honest, I mean, a 60-point pace, if he can just maintain basically somewhere similar to what he was doing last year in terms of point production, you would still consider this contract to be a win, especially, as you mentioned, when you get into those UFA years where the cap is going to be going up, it's going to eventually look like a very good contract. You're right, maybe not next year, right? Unless, of course, he comes out next year and just puts up 90 points, which I have said before and will say again, I believe he will do at some point in his career with the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know when. I don't think it's going to be this year. It certainly doesn't seem like this is going to be the year, but we don't need him to do that right now. I mean, obviously, if they want to make the playoffs, yeah, they could use somebody like that. But, um, you know, realistic expectations, uh, if, if he can stay around the same level of point production per game that he was last year, then, you know, this is a great signing for them. And it's going to remain a great signing for the course of that entire contract. Yeah, you know, you look at you look at the the contracts on the Montreal Canadiens. They're paying Josh Anderson five point five million. You know, Christian Dvorak is locked in at four point four five. Tyler Toffoli is making four point two five. Like the, the the numbers make sense, right? Like mm. it, it's 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 a it's an amount that you can digest, uh, and and kind of it kind of creates an internal cap as well, where when guys like Drouin come up for a negotiation or even Toffoli in in three years. Uh, Cole Caulfield, obviously, as well. You might listen, Nick's making this much, you know, <laughs> kind of like how the yeah. Gallagher contract kind of set the bar for, for a few years, or at least the patch ready one, perhaps. Uh, I think that that's some obviously the caps change and players change and, and things like that, but I, I think that it's it's it, it puts it puts the the core of this team on a clock basically, where you have those eight years where the Canadians are, are going to hope to contend. Uh, within that window for sure and talking about contention (laughs) it's not a very fun three games and not even just because they've only scored three goals but it's just they they don't they they try i mentioned on this podcast before 
that this is a team that's built to outscore teams, not out defend. But it feels like the Canadians are still trying to out defend teams, and they're not built for that. And, and I think that they're trying to to win games one nothing, which is not the way that they should be going. And it, it seemed like for much of the Rangers game, especially that they were trying to lose one nothing <laughs> because even when they were down, they weren't really trying to to push the envelope a little bit. And and I just wonder what they're going to do. Obviously, Mike Hoffman is about to come back. That's going to be good news for them. And I'm just curious what they're going to look like and what they're going to try and do to create some offense because the defense is always going to be a question mark. I don't think they've been that bad defensively. The issue is that they have one goal a game in the last <laughs> in the three games. So I, I think that that's, that's the bigger issue. And I'm curious what they're going to do because it's clear that what they're currently doing is not working. Yeah, they weren't that bad defensively against New York and they weren't that bad defensively against Toronto. It was the Buffalo game where the defense looked really bad. The defensive zone coverage was a complete mess and they got throttled by a team that's, you know, many people were saying was going to be a lottery team this year and they're running for Shane Wright. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of this team being built to outscore teams and they're playing like they still have Philippe Dano and like they still have Carey Price, right? They're playing like, oh, our game is we could beat you two to one. And this is not a team that's going to thrive on that. We've seen in spurts when they do turn it on and they're trying to go offensively, what they're capable of doing like that, uh, the Christian Dvorak over to Jonathan Dubois in the slot against the Rangers, a beautiful goal. Do, do more of that. I, I don't know why they're trying a lot of this dump and chase and their, their zone exit strategy almost seems to be, uh, at times exclusively centered around flipping the puck over top of the, the, the defenseman at the other end and seeing if you can beat them to it, which, I mean, it, that might work one time out of 10. And they seem to be doing it with regularity. Like they're making it a focus of their breakout to just flip it up and see if they can go chase it down. Um, I would like to see a lot more of what they did in spurts against the Rangers and particularly that one play with uh, Dvorak cutting around behind the net and then finding somebody in the slot. If they can start doing that and start attacking the slot, you know, I, I, I do think the goals are going to come and then we might start seeing that team that you predicted before, which is the team winning by scores of like four to three and five to four. Right. Yeah. And the way Jake Allen's playing, you can afford to give up a few more chances. Like he's, he's playing well. And, and I think that that's, that's part of the thing where maybe they're, they're still apprehensive about falling behind. And, you know, I, I think the confidence is a little bit low as, as well, but the, the, another key thing is the power play, right? Yeah. If they can score a power play goal a game, we're, we're looking at a team that has at least probably two points in the standings. Uh, they, they probably tie it up in Toronto and, and force overtime at least, and, and might even get to uh, get, get to overtime against the Rangers. If not, pull ahead of, of that game so the, the power play is something that needs to be worked on and i'm not sure why it's not working i still think that they, they think shea weber's there and <laughs> and it's it's just it's weird because during the playoffs even cole caulfield was like a focal point of the power play and i i don't i can't even think of a time where he touched the puck more than twice and and it's you know mike hoffman's going to help that as well i i think having a guy who just is basically there to score on the power play is going to help because you get in the, he'll, he'll, he'll know what to do with the puck. And, and I think that um, a lot of the, the issues with, with the power play is just 
I don't know if Cole Caulfield is still like, oh, I'm a, I'm a rookie. I shouldn't be shooting it as much, but he should be shooting it more. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's, that's what you're there for. Uh, you know, you need to get the, and, and he did have a couple of good opportunities against the Ranger. I think it was the Rangers game where his shot was just blocked or he just let it go a little bit wide. I, I feel like he's still getting calibrated. He missed a lot of the preseason as well. And, and I think that he's still getting a little bit, you know, uh, you know, in shape and game shape. And I think that that's a factor here as well, is that they spent so much of training camp just trying to make sure guys didn't get hurt, that they didn't really work on things that they made have maybe should have worked on. And, and you know, I think this is a team that's going to get better as the year goes on, mainly because they can't get worse, but also because it's just the nature of, of the way that they've been going so far. Yeah, I mean, I... I love that you mentioned that aspect of them on the power play, thinking that they still have Shea Weber, because that was honestly the most infuriating thing that I've had to watch so far out of these three games was their five on three attempts. They got two different five on threes. They got a five on three against uh, Toronto, and then they got another one against Buffalo. I think, yeah, yep. Buffalo was the other time they got a five on three. And both times, what was their focus was trying to move the puck around a little bit and eventually getting it back to Jeff Petrie for a long point shot. What are you doing taking point shots with a five on three? against an NHL team and an NHL goaltender. I don't care if it's the worst team in the NHL. Taking long point shots on a five-on-three is not the way to score. Jeff Petrie can shoot the puck and all, but that was the guy that they had shooting it, and he's not Shea Weber in terms of his shot. So, And even if you had Shea Weber still, right? even if you still had Shea Weber, that's not the way to score. It isn't. Clearly, you got to be able to attack the middle at least a little bit, and like it's not like they didn't... Like I, I would have preferred watching those five on threes if they just completely failed to enter the zone and the other team was doing a wicked good job of keeping them out. I would have preferred watching that. It would have been frustrating, but not nearly as frustrating as watching them gain the zone, set up, and then do that. Because that tells me that you're doing it intentionally. And so I'm, I'm on one hand, I'm like, do you guys know how to do this? And on the other hand, I'm like, well, you, you must because you were able to get into the zone. So now I think that you believe this is the best way to score, which is even more infuriating because, you know, if you've watched hockey at any level, you know, you get a five on three. What do you do? Get it down low, move it up into the high slot, uh, get, get one of those cross ice passes going. So the goaltender has to move and they're doing none of that straight pass back and then a Petrie clapper onto the net. I mean, they got to get away from that at the very least if they want this power play to have any success. Yeah, I mean, one player who I think has been really good, not just on the power play, but overall, has been Jonathan Drouin. And on the power play, you can see him trying the cross-seam pass, right? Like, he, he's the one guy on, on the power play who's actually trying to do that. And I, I do think that that's something that will eventually open things up for, for the power play. But just, just Drouin in general... He's the only forward to score a goal. He has two and just a great story. And that that's the positive. I think you can take from this, this game is, is our, our, these three games is Drouin playing well. That's, that's absolutely incredible. And also Christian Dvorak looking like a top six center. Those are two things that are going to help this team eventually when this team is going to be, when this team starts to, to be good, those are two key elements that are going to be part of that. Oh, for sure. And especially that they're playing on a line together with Anderson seems to me to be the, the, the most dangerous line that the Canadians have right now. 
Oh, I, I, it's it, it seems like everybody else is still trying to get used to each other. Mm-hmm. I'm still an advocate that I think Yoel Armia belongs in the top line with uh, with Cole Caulfield and, and Nick Suzuki, but that's a story for another day. If we're looking just at that second line, it's really the first line in terms of danger right now. And a lot of it has to do with number one, Jonathan Drouin coming back and playing some of the best hockey that we've seen him play. He appears to be back with force. And yeah, Christian Dvorak looking like a legit top six center. Like that move that he made uh, to set up the Drouin goal against the Rangers was just, you know, beautiful. Chef's kiss for that one. Cutting around behind the net and immediately finding Drouin. I mean, Drouin had to do very little other than just move to his backhand uh, and go roof with it. I mean, again, like I said earlier, more of that, right? More of getting the centers driving around behind the net and then, you know, drawing the defense out of position so that you have somebody open in the slot like that. They're clearly capable of doing it. Uh, they just need to be able to do more of that. And I think and I hope that some of the other lines are going to be able to do that as well once they really get used to each other. Yeah, I mean, they have skill on this team, right? It's not a bunch of fourth line players. I mean, unless no. you ask certain fans of other teams, uh, <laughs> but they're not a team of fourth line players. They have skill, show skill. <laughs> like, like that, like it's not like Nick Suzuki doesn't have skill. It's not like Cole Caulfield doesn't have skill. Tyler Toffoli, uh, Duran, Dvorak, uh, even. Even guys like you know Evans and and Gall- Gallagher, I mean, you know, there are different kinds of skills, but they have skills, right? Like they, they can create offense. We know they can. They should do that, <laughs> and it's yeah. easy to say from here. But at, at the same time, I, I think that it, it's gonna it's gonna eventually break, and and eventually they're gonna start to get the lines rolling. You know, Mike Hoffman, like I, I think, will really help because he only cares about offense, and I don't mean that in a bad way. And in a, in a certain way, I feel like they need more players like that. Where, you know, his when he's on the ice, he's looking to do one thing, and that's the score. And I don't know if there's any other players on the Canadians that have that mindset. And, and and that's good to have. You know, obviously, some guys have to think about two-way games. That that's defending is a part of hockey, absolutely. But you need some guys that are good, like you know what, I'm here to score. And, and I think that you know maybe because Suzuki and Caulfield are still a little young, uh, you know, Toffoli and, and Gallagher are still you know, maybe used to playing with Philip Deneau a little bit. And I just think that once they get into that mind, Josh Anderson is a good other example of that, right? Where he's just like, just give me the puck and I'm going to try and, you know, go in the offensive zone. I think they need more of that just to kind of break the mindset. And I think that the coaches are trying to do that. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's something that is is going to be interesting uh, to, to monitor going forward because it it's not like this team doesn't have players who have the ability to score you know Tyler Toffoli was one of the best goal scorers in the league last year Josh Anderson was one of the best goal scorers in the league last year like they have Suzuki like you said was on a pace for 60 points Cole Caulfield is going to score goals Brendan Gallagher is going to score goals and and it's just a matter of when and and I I think of in in the near future there's going to be a game where they're just going to break out and get like four or five goals and everyone's gonna be like okay this team can score they can relax a little bit and, and yeah. we'll see, we'll see if things go into, you know, fall into place a little bit more. It feels like the opposite of last year. Remember last year where they were scoring like crazy <laughs> at the start of the year and everybody was saying, there's no way they're going to keep scoring at this pace. And sure as God's got sandals, they eventually came back down to earth. And now this year it's a team that on paper should be scoring a lot more than last year's team. And they're not scoring at all so i i think you're right man i think there's gonna be there, there's there's a game coming and i don't know which one it is 
I, I wonder if, if tomorrow night against San Jose is a candidate for that. Um, but I think that game is going to come at some point and it's going to click. And then that's when maybe they'll start getting away from this, trying to defend so much, you know, like we talked about playing as if you still have Philippe Dano and Carey Price when you don't, uh, I mean, uh, let's get into that mindset of, all right, we're here to outscore you. We're here to, uh, you know, we're, we're aiming for five a night. Screw it. Yeah. Let's get loose and let's just attack. Get, and, get some you know, wings, get some wings. Yeah. They, they, they need, um, they need some red, red bull offense. <laughs> Right, they need, they need Red Bull offense to get some wings um, for the fans in, in the stands as well. But big week coming up though, and, and I think that they're they're, they're going to have to probably win at least two games. Uh, they have San Jose all at home. San Jose Tuesday, uh, Carolina. Oh yes, Faricot Kanyemi is going to get booed. Like, and I feel bad <laughs> for him. I, I, like, just just think. I think the last the last you know was the, the last home game he played was that no. Never mind. I was gonna say one of the last home games he played was was Game Six against Toronto. That wasn't one of the last, um, but he, you know there were two series after that. But yeah, he goes from scoring the game winner in Game Six against Toronto, and uh, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna get some treatment uh, against. He's probably gonna score like a hat trick as well, um, yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe four goals to to reignite that meme. Uh, of him and uh, every one of them is somehow going to get a Sebastian Ajo assist on it yeah it's going to be like an either it's going to be one side is going to get us my prediction for that game is that one side either Montreal or Carolina and Kachinyemi is going to get just a laughable win in this game like it's going to be like of course that's what's happening it's not going to be like a overtime game it might be an overtime game where like you know Kachinyemi gets like two goals in the overtime winner or something ridiculous like that but i i feel like one side is going to come away from this as which is which is becoming a really a budding rivalry right like yeah it's it's really becoming uh a really you know just look at the the reaction to the kakinyemi offer sheet obviously but even the follow-up to the aho offer sheet uh the the fans were going in in some back and forth as well um you know epic troll sarah Sivian, uh, from the athletic uh was was egging on Montreal Canadiens fans as well and and they uh they fell for it let's be honest uh, as well but yeah it, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun game that that's a game where i think a lot of players are going to be amped up for it i, I think a little bit at, at least yeah. the crowd the crowd is the crowd is going to be amped for it the, the crowd's going to be amped they they are going to boo him mercilessly which he probably He's going like, to thrive on that, though. He, I feel like he's going to thrive on that, to be honest. He probably would, and he doesn't really deserve it. I mean, realistically, if you if you, if you you ask anybody, like, you don't even have to be a professional hockey player to understand. Like, if one team offered you, say, $6 million over the course of two years, and the other one says, we'll give you that $6 million all this year, I mean, you're, you're taking the money up front because you can make that money work for you sooner or later instead of getting it dripped. You know, you get a whole lot more of it in a shorter period of time. Yeah. You know, that's finance 101, baby, is I want to invest my money now. Uh, and really, Montreal, Montreal had the final say in that, right? Like yeah, they could have matched. They, they could have matched, and they didn't. So it, it's not. So uh, he, he, yeah, he he probably doesn't deserve the boost, but he he's gonna get him uh, <laughs> because that's that's Montreal hockey, man. It's like you you left, you went somewhere else, <laughs> you signed the offer sheet, so uh, we're mad at you for that. But I think that that budding rivalry, like. Let's face it. I don't think that Carolina really wanted to pay him six point one million dollars. I don't think they liked him that much, right? It's you can tell us until you're blue in the face that you really wanted to get 
uh, Jesperi Kakanyemi that bad. I don't believe for one second that you guys are enjoying that 6.1 million. That's why I had mentioned earlier, I think that the Habs, part of them signing Suzuki was they wanted to avoid a potential massive offer sheet from Carolina. And that rivalry between the organizations, not just the teams on the ice, is going to bleed down to the players. And then that game, these games in general, whenever they meet, are going to end up getting more and more intense. Um, I am hoping and praying that the result of that game somehow ends up being in a shootout. And then we see a Jesperi Kakanyemi like coming down the ice and just boots one and just like falls trips over the blue line and the puck goes into the corner and, and we all get to have a very nice night in Montreal and be like, yes, we're glad that you sent that offer sheet. But I think what's probably going to happen is something more along the lines of what you mentioned earlier, you know, a two or three goal game from Jesperi Kakanyemi. And we're going to be sitting there going, ah, yeah, of course. He hasn't scored a goal all season so far. And the first time he's going to do it, he's going to score a multi-goal game against the Habs. Oh, I, 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 you can write it in, like, kind of like Alexi Lafreniere scoring on Saturday. You just, yeah, you know, Montreal needed to get two goals because once the Rangers got one, you just knew Lafreniere was going to get the other one uh, yeah. for the Rangers. It, it's just the, the, the way things go. And, you know, it, it's, it's not just because, oh, that's the way things go in Montreal players are amped up to play Montreal, right? Like Kakanyemi coming into a, an arena with 21,000 people booing him. That's yeah. going to amp him up. Like I, I, he might, he might try too hard. I think that that's a possibility uh, as well. Like he might have a, an awful game because he's, he's trying too hard, but I just think that, you know, that that's, that's the kind of game that you like, everyone knows what's going to happen. And that the rivalry is just starting. You know, you mentioned the Nick Suzuki offer sheet. Their top prospect is Ryan Suzuki. Nick's brother so that 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 rivalry is 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 just going to continue uh as we go forward i I think it's gonna be different ripples and 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 things that especially if cut signs an extension there uh, i think that it's going to be an interesting one and then after that game they do have saturday against the red wings and we know how they played the red wings two years ago yeah it's (laughs) you know it's it's just uh uh-oh you know, like if, if they lose against San Jose and they lose to Carolina, you just know, uh oh, they're going to lose to Detroit too. And then we're looking at 0 and 6 uh, after six games. But no, I, I think that it's a different team, different coaching staff. Uh, yes, they lost to the Sabres, but I, I think that this one will go a little bit better. But yeah, no, Detroit is, they played well. They, they almost beat Tampa Bay uh, in, in their first game of the season. They have a, a really good young team, Lucas Raymond. Uh, among others on uh, more cider as well they they're, they're going to be good but that's a game that montreal has to win especially looking at losing their first three games they they have to beat detroit there they, they just have to it's not a question um and then after that they go to seattle for the first time and and that will be uh very interesting as well um right and then and then they go to san jose and you know yes my idiot self, I was thinking that tomorrow's game is in San Jose, but yeah, you know, the, the West Coast trip is gonna be the West Coast trip is is never easy. No, so you, you'd like to have them a couple wins in the bank on this three-game homestand. Well, four games counting a ranger game, but that one's already done. So it, it'll be interesting. And what one thing I do want to mention, and uh going into the end, is there are a lot of rumors about Mark Bergevin. And Obviously, he's not going to sign an extension or sorry. Yeah, he's not going to talk about his extension during the season. And there's rumors with him uh, linking him to Los Angeles. 
the one thing I will say about it, and you, you can chime in afterwards as well, I don't think it really makes a difference because Mark Bergevin is making decisions for the good of the Montreal Canadiens as if he would still be here uh, in Montreal. I don't think it matters. It's not great optics. Like, it's weird. But there's a lot of factors why a guy who has been in the job that Mark Bergevin has been in for 10 years is looking at the contract like, do I really want to sign an extension? It's stressful. He might just want to relax. You know, he goes from playing uh, an NHL career to being uh, an, an executive in Chicago to being the GM in the Montreal Canadiens for 10 years. I, I can see him just wanting maybe a, a job with a little bit less of a microscope on him. And that's, I, I, don't, I can't blame him, to be, to be honest. No, I mean, I've... I've been around Eyes on the Prize long enough. I think I've written probably four, five, six, seven. I don't even know how many articles I've written personally demanding that he be fired um, <laughs> because I'm emotional. I'm a Habs fan. What do you want me to do? And well, I'm not the only one. after you ran into him? <laughs> <laughs> well, before, during, and after. I think I, there's, no, uh, there, there's no end to the amount of times that I can write that article if I feel like it needs to be written. And if, if, if I'm doing that, imagine what it's like, you know, on a larger scale being him and having to have that coming at you from, from all angles, right? Yeah. I, I could completely understand. I mean, um, what's his name? Marc-Olivier Baudouin, um, who had just mentioned earlier on Twitter that there's a possibility that Anaheim's interested in him as well. So he's got potentially, according to the rumor mill, two destinations in California, much lower profile markets where you get to live in the sunshine and, you know, fly under the radar. Look, Philippe Dano made that move and he took a little bit more money to do it, obviously. But I think if you look at Marc Bergevin, I, I could see him exactly like you said, wanting something a little bit more quiet, wanting something a little bit less in the spotlight and then taking that. I think the only problem for the Montreal Canadiens uh, about this uncertainty is that what if we get a little bit further along in the year and what if those goals start coming, right? What if the team starts scoring and they start winning some games, you know, four to three, five to three, like four five to four, like we thought they were going to be doing for the most part this season. What if that starts happening and then it becomes apparent that they need a little bit extra, like maybe some help on defense, right? If you have a guy who we're getting closer and closer to the trade deadline who has not signed his extension yet. Do you want him making those moves? Do you want him being a buyer at the deadline if they're in a position to be that? I don't think you do because I don't think you want a guy who's got one foot out the door making decisions that could impact the team's future, right? You're right. As of right now, he's making decisions as if he's still going to be here. He's making, you know, reasonable decisions. That Suzuki contract being a very reasonable, excellent decision. Can't commend that contract enough personally. But if that situation comes, if they get to the deadline and they are within reach of a playoff spot or in a playoff spot, and you're looking at what can we do to improve this team to make a run at it again, is that the guy, you know, the guy with a contract extension in front of him that he still hasn't signed yet? Is that the guy that you want pulling the trigger? I don't think so. I, I think that a lot of it comes down to Mark Bergevin himself. And I think that, if that's in that situation, he's not going to make moves knowing he's going to be gone. I don't think he's going to trade all of the prospects just to, you know, try and win a Stanley cup in Montreal before he leaves. I, I just think that it's, he, I think he knows. And I think that's a major reason why he's still doing the job now is that he wants to honor the contract that he signed. And I think that he's going to do that. 
you know, he's, if he's wanted to build, you know, build this team and just go out all out for himself, he's had plenty of opportunities to do that. And he hasn't done that. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think that that's an issue. It's not ideal, but I think that there's a group in the organization that is involved in making these decisions. I mean, the coaching staff has signed for three years in the NHL and in the AHL. Uh, you know, jo- John Sedgwick has an extension. Uh, you know, Melton Lapointe, uh, Scott Mellenby, all those guys have, have extensions, uh, have contracts. I don't think all of them are expiring at the end of the year. So at a certain point, yes, it'd be nice if, you know, there was more certainty around that, but I don't think that it's necessarily catastrophic, even if they do become a contender at the trade deadline. I don't think that he's going to sacrifice the future of the organization. He said that he wouldn't several times. Um, and, and he's, he's gone through to that as well. So I don't think that's as much of a, a, a factor for me, but what, what I think is clear at this point, if Jeff Molson and if Mark Bergevin both wanted this relationship to continue mutually, it would be done by now, right? Like the, the, the fact yeah. that there's no contract in there means that in some reason, either one or the other doesn't want it. And that's okay. It's okay to be in it. Like, I'm at, like there's people who have done 10 years in a job at any place and just like, you know what, this is enough. I, I need, especially in professional sports, right? Like it's, it's a long time to do a job. And especially one as high pressure in Montreal, look at all the things that he's had to deal with in the last, you know, six months, you know, even disregarding the the draft, right? Shea Weber's injury, Kerry Price, Jonathan Drouin, uh, the, the, the cup run, Philip Deneau leaving. Uh, Joel Bouchard leaving like there, there's been a lot of lot of factors in here that would increase stress for, for a, a, a general manager in, in Mark Bergman's position like mm-hmm. I, I don't I think that he sees this as an opportunity to go out on his own terms and be like you know what I, I'm, I'm gonna step aside and, and go somewhere else if he does that he might sign an extension who knows like it's all speculation at this point but I, I, don't, I don't blame him for, for maybe looking at this and be like, you know what, I've had a good run as GM. Do I really want to sign another three or four or five year contract? And, you know, uh, and, you know, that means 13, 14, 15 years of doing this job. So I, I do think that it, it might be a little bit of, uh, you know what, thanks for, for the work and, and kind of move on and, and build a transition. I mean, I feel like they've already been pre- preparing for this. Like that there's been like Mark Bergman has been kind of like emotional um, and, and at press conferences during the playoffs and, and even earlier this season, I think that there's a point where it's taken a toll and that's fine. It's, it's perfectly acceptable and understandable uh, for him to, to feel the way he's feeling. And, you know, look at the AHL coaching staff, you know, Scott Mellenby, was and Martin Lapointe were the two guys who are building that AHL team, signing free agents, hiring the coaches, interviewing. Um, you know, Bergman was involved a little bit, but those are the guys that he said uh, straight out when I asked him in a press conference uh, that that were instrumental. So I do think that that those people are going to be involved in any decisions at the trade line to avoid what you're concerned about, which is an understandable concern. But but I think that there's an organization that is not going anywhere, even if Mark Bergman does go somewhere. So it's, it's going to be interesting to follow. It's just another thing 
to add on to the list of things yeah. uh, <laughs> that we've talked about in the last uh, three months and we've gone three games and things haven't gotten much better. But it, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, the season is still going. The Laval Rocket have played two games. They have a game on Wednesday uh, and another one on Saturday in Providence. There's going to be a lot of things to look forward to. And hopefully we have more goals to talk about. <laughs> on the next episode of of Half Survivor. Matt Drake, uh, keep doing the, the great work on the bottom six minutes. Uh, keep going to the website, HabsEyesOnThePrize.com to follow everything with Montreal Canadians. And we'll see you on the next episode of Half Survivor.